That was his, that was their take, okay? That the thieves on the cross reviled Jesus. In other words, they were railing at him. So again, we're taking a look at two opposite sides of the cross. One criminal with the other criminal. And Jesus in the middle. And, and so we're going to take a look. Let me read this to you. This is in Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read verses 39 through 46. And this is what it says. Very interesting. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed at him. He said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. I looked that word up in the Greek. And it doesn't mean heaven. It just means simply put like a beautiful garden. So what Jesus was saying is, you're going to be with me in absolute beauty. Okay? Absolute beauty is yours today. Today. Notice, He did not say that to the other one. He did not say that to the other criminal. So we have two different views. So you got Jesus in the middle, and this guy's hanging here, and this guy's hanging here. This guy starts talking, to, talking bad about Jesus, and then this guy over here looks at him and says, Man, won't you be quiet? Don't you even fear God, even in death? Now I want to take a closer look at this as we walk through this. Now at the end of this, Jesus says this. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with those words, he breathed his last. And so Jesus, the man, part of him, died. And to everyone who believed about Jesus, but didn't believe in Jesus, they believed about Him, but they didn't believe in Him. Those that believed about Him, their hopes were dashed. The man died. How can this be? We, we believed about Him. We believed about what we heard. We believed about what we saw in Him. We believed about the, situa the situation of Him being a great prophet. And a healer sent by God. And those that believed about Jesus felt very lost. And that was about everyone. They believed about Him because they were with Him and seen what He did, but they didn't trust in Him 
as the Messiah for themselves. Okay. Now, as we walk through this, this is just more than two people hanging here. These are two perspectives that exist even today. Two perspectives on either side of the cross. And men have them today. Three people here were faced with a horrible death that they were not going to escape. They all knew that it was done for them, beyond. I mean, they're physically, they're done. And they all three knew what was going to happen at this point. Because crucifixion was something that was done often in Israel. And I'll guarantee you that the, the criminals had been at crucifixions before and knew what took place at them. And they knew that they were going to hang there and they were going to be tortured and they were going to have a spear thrust in their side and they're going to have their legs broken. And they knew that this was the worst kind of death. And they were going headlong into it. And there was absolutely nothing they could do. Now I want to take a look at some of the, the contrast between these two criminals. I've read to you what was said. Matthew, as I, as I was saying, Matthew and Mark just say that they both reviled him. But obviously one had a change in heart. But one saw yet another failed opportunity to get himself off the hook. Trying to use Jesus for what he could get out of Jesus to save his wretched flesh. He wanted Jesus to perform a miracle to keep him from getting what he deserved. And let me tell you, that exists today. There are a lot of people who want to use Jesus to get them to heaven without ever believing in Him. To get them off the hook. And this is exactly what this man was doing. Even though he was hanging on the cross right beside the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Facing Satan and death and hell forever. Still tried to use Jesus to get him get it to save his flesh instead of save his soul. The other began to see another kingdom that was coming quickly. He had probably read the sign above Jesus' head. The king of the Jews. Don't know that he'd ever met Jesus publicly. Probably not. Criminals didn't often hang out with the Lord. So this was probably his first encounter with the Lord. Probably heard about him maybe, but never been around him. And he heard the crowd, what they were saying. And they heard the charges against him. And he had a different opinion than when he first began this. At first, they both reviled him, Matthew says and Mark says. 
But as death was approaching him, as, as his life was taking a turn and he knew he wasn't going to make it, as Satan was right there ready to grasp him and pull him into eternity's hell, he had a change of heart. Now I want to take a look at what he said because it's very telling. He looks at the other criminal and says, don't you fear God even when you're sentenced to die? Suddenly this man began to have a respect for God. Obviously he did not have it during his life because he was a criminal. Right? He was a lawbreaker. He was a bad guy. They both said they were getting their just rewards. They were guilty as charged. But now, even in death, he's starting to see. He starts to have a godly sorrow. The beginning of salvation, and Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes, sorrow is better than joy. And what he meant by that is this. A sorrowful heart, when you can see yourself for the criminal that you really are, sinfully speaking, spiritually speaking, and we all are, no matter if you're a, uh, uh, you've never done anything wrong, no matter if you've never drank, no matter if you've never did drugs, no matter if you've never did anything that you can think of, you are sinning, you're sinful inside. You need a Savior. You're not a bad person. You're a good person. But spiritually speaking, we all need to be saved. Because we inherited it from Adam and from Eve and from our, our parents. We inherited this nature that we've got to shed. You can be an absolute great person and I'm not saying that. Most people get mad at me when I preach sermons like this because they feel like I'm condemning them. I am not. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm saying you need to be saved. There's a difference between that. Good people go to hell all the time. You have to see yourself and have a genuine fear of God in your heart that produces what this man is showing you. In other words, you've got to see yourself, man. He could have been angry. He could have been upset. He could have been like the other criminal, but he was not. He looked at himself and said, yep, you know what? I'm getting what I deserve. But then... He says, we deserve to die. He understood consequences for actions. Folks, listen. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to going to heaven and going to hell, God doesn't really put you in hell. You put yourself. Because of you, you don't choose to believe in Jesus. You just chose to believe about Him. Oh, that's a great story. Yeah, I believe that story. Faith like that doesn't save you. James talks about it. In the book of James, the brother of the Lord, he talks about it. He says, faith without works is dead. You can believe in something and not pass the test. But true faith should make you, compel you to believe and, and act on your belief. This man, this criminal, was acting on his belief. He was actually putting faith into action. What a great example this first Christian was.
He took what he believed. He saw himself for who he was. He had a fear of God. Which is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. If you walk around this world and have no fear of God or fear of consequences, you're just, you're asking for it. He feared God. Listen to this. We deserve to die for for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. You know what he said there? Let's look at this. He's all of a sudden developed a fear of God. He looked at himself and said, I'm a criminal, I'm a sinner. And then he looked at Jesus and he's walking the Romans road and he looks at Jesus and said, yep, you're the man that's done nothing wrong. You're the sinless lamb. Guiltless. He's he's now sees Jesus for who he is. And now he's going to place faith in him. In him. It didn't trouble this criminal that Jesus was about to die. It didn't trouble this criminal. You see how different he was? That's the reason why I'm calling him the first Christian. Because his faith was not about Jesus. He was placing faith in Jesus, which is contrary to all the disciples because they were scattered abroad, believing that it was over. This man on the cross, about to die with Jesus, believed that Jesus wasn't going to die. And suddenly he believed that there was something more than just this world, you see. So here he says this. This man's done nothing wrong. Then he looks at Jesus and he said, Jesus, after he had done all this confession, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you, I assure you, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't let the fact that at the beginning, Matthew and Mark said that he was reviling him. He didn't hold a grudge to this man. But what we see is a marvelous change of heart happening here. That began wicked and angry and upset. Who seen Jesus as some sort of charlatan. A false prophet who was going to save Israel. But didn't. And then he began to understand. That this ain't about this physical world. It's about the world to come. It's about what we're getting ready to do here. Suddenly this man began to probably feel, as most dying people do, the pull of the next world calling to you. Most dying people feel that when they're passing. And he probably felt a fire beneath his feet. I told somebody just this weekend, I said, there's a, 
There are trillions of people beneath your feet who would give one single solitary chance to be, with you, be, be where you're at right now, talking to a man of God with an opportunity to be saved. Who for, one 30, for missing one 30-second prayer is forever in the flames of the devil's hell. What a shame. The first man apparently died in his sins. The second received forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Listen, without doing one thing. Without doing one thing. He didn't earn anything. That's the beauty of this whole scenario the man did not get baptized the man did not take communion the man did not go through feet washing the man did not go to church the man did not give any alms to the poor and yet heaven was his home Both men hung on a cross right next to the Son of God. One did not see Him for who He was. But one saw the Son of God who was crucified for doing no wrong. This is a perplexing thing. And one that definitely exists today. The criminal who railed at Jesus like most people do today rails at Jesus, but yet expects to be saved by Him. Do you know how many funerals that I have preached in my ministry? I have preached a bunch. And I'm going to tell you 90% of them are those who probably died like the criminal who railed at Jesus. Whose lives represented that same man who wanted Jesus to get him off the hook of death but never believed in Him. Do you know how many times that I heard families Say, well, he's in a, or she's in a better place. Trying to console themselves as if everyone who dies goes to heaven. That is simply not the case. That is biblically not the case. One man, amongst all those people, at the crucifixion scene, believed enough to be saved. And he was hanging on a cross. We sat here with free will, with nothing wrong, very little going on. And people will walk from here without bowing the knee and take the chance that Jesus would get them off the hook when death comes. 
and it might come today. How many times have I heard that said? How many times have somebody looked at me in tears in their eyes about mother who railed at Jesus her whole life? Or father. I've had it said to me so many times I've lost count. They pull me to the side as if to I'm going to give them something to get their spirit off the hook. Do you think mommy or daddy made it? My question and my statement typically to them is this. They fell into a loving God's hands who is just and who performs His word to a T. That being said is this. I can't judge on a person going to heaven or hell, but I can tell you who does go to heaven or hell. I can tell you that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm not talking believing about Him. I'm talking about believing in Him for yourself personally. If you do not, you will be in eternal flames. You have the kind of faith that won't go anywhere and is dead, according to James. But if you believe in Him, and His faith, Christ lives in you, and you've been born again and you've been saved, you, my friend, are on the path with Christ to heaven. But I've had so many people ask me that question. And I asked them, they said, but how do I know? Some people want to dig deeper. Well, I, I tell them this, was mommy or daddy or grandma or grandpa, was they saved? What do you mean saved? Did they give their heart to Christ? Did they accept him as their savior? Did they truly believe in him? Well, I, I don't know. Well, there's your answer. If your family can't tell that you're a Christian, you're probably not one. If the way you act is contrary to what this Bible says, he's probably not in your heart. If your legacy that follows you is one where the world can't tell no difference in you and them, you're probably not a Christian. Because what happens to a person the Bible says the old you dies and a new you is born. You're completely and utterly different. Now the experience of that, some people experience that differently. Some people get saved and there's tears and weeping for joy. Others get saved and they take it in. and it be, but, but the fruits are the same, you see. The fruits are the same. The experience might be different, but the fruits are the same. Fruits meaning this, what you begin to bear in your life like a tree would bear. They're either Christian things or the worldly things. Which are they? That tells you the life-giving flow that you're producing. Good or evil. You judge.
not me. Only you know. You can see the stark difference between these two criminals. Opposite views of the cross. We are descendants, spiritually speaking, of each of these perspectives of who Jesus is. Either we are or we're not. Simply put, I like the fact that Mark recorded this. I'm sorry, Luke recorded this. Because it shows a wonderful change. And it shows it's never too late. That even at death, and listen, I'm not recommending you wait. I had somebody tell me that one time. Somebody told me, I'm just going to wait until I'm ready to die, and then I'm going to call on the Lord. I said, listen, don't be a fool. Because the Bible says that He'll scoff and laugh at you in your calamity. When calamity comes upon you, and you've rejected Him, the Scripture says, God isn't your cosmic bellhop, as John Hagee says, ready to take your order when you call on Him. No, He'll... <laughs> Oh, now, <laughs> now you want to call on me, right? Oh, now you need me. Oh, all the times that I reached out to you and I called to you and I, and I, listen, don't play that game with God. Because that is exactly what the Bible says. This is not Pastor Jay trying to, trying to tempt you to come to the altar today. You either come to this altar when I give the altar call because you feel the need to do it, but don't do it because of me. You do it because of what God's telling you in your heart. I'm just telling you exactly what the Bible says. Okay? But what I like about this and the encouraging thing about this is this. It's never too late. It's never too late. Listen to this. You've never done too much. You, you've never done too much bad. God's grace is much more powerful and abundant than any sin you could have committed. Even the most hideous. Even murder. Even rape. Molestation. God's grace can save even the most wretched. If it couldn't, it's incomplete. It can save the traitor. It could save anyone. That's the grace that's calling to you. And it's not too late. Even in life's last moments, God is listening, waiting for you to see Him for who He is, waiting for you to keep, to quit believing about Him, waiting for you to believe in Him. And I love the Lord's reply. I assure you, 
today, you're going to be with me in paradise. I wonder what that man's heart felt when the blessed King of Kings spoke those words and captured that man's soul. And Jesus took him right from the kingdom of the devil and brought him into the kingdom of light. I bet that man, I bet he, if I could have been there, I bet you he just cried probably, thank you, Jesus, and welcomed, welcomed the open door.